Welcome to this week's energy show. And it's a really exciting show. We're going to be talking about politics. Okay, the politics of energy and the environment. Still not excited? Well, I won't feel bad if you change your podcast station or just listen to an endless loop of Louie Louie. All right, the 2020 presidential campaign's in full swing, even though it's still 2019. A number of candidates have made positions clear on global warming, also known as climate change. I call it global warming because that's what's happened. Climate change is a little bit of a nicer veneer. Now, when we kind of look at what's happening, this global warming climate change issue also has a lot to do with our country's approach to energy supplies. All right, so... Obviously, we're going to talk about President Trump, the number one candidate, but we're also going to talk about what's going on on the Democratic side. So let's just start off with President Trump's position on climate change and energy. Basically, I mean, this is kind of sad. He mocks renewable energy. He has some quotes here. Quote, windmills, we, and it doesn't blow. You can forget about television for that night. Imagine saying, darling, I want to watch television. I'm sorry, the wind isn't blowing. The president's also said that he knows a lot about wind. I'm not going to make any snarky comments there. The fact of the matter is, wind usually blows more at night. There's more wind power in the evening. It's an excellent complement to solar, which obviously is working during the day. Now, as far as solar, our president said, quote, solar is wonderful too, but it's not strong enough and it's very, very expensive. Now, as far as its strength, it's a very diffuse source of energy. But if you use the area, you got plenty and we have more than enough area in the U.S. to power our economy 100% with solar. Now, as far as the very, very expensive part, I'm not sure what accountant he's using to, to kind of do that math. Maybe it's the same accountants he used at the Trump Taj Mahal you know, during his first bankruptcy. All right. The fact of the matter is, this is being decided by utilities all over the country. Solar is the cheapest source of energy. You want to make electricity? Solar panels are the cheapest way to do it, whether it's on your house, on your business, or whether you're a big utility like PG&E. Now, solar coupled with energy storage is being selected by utilities all over the world for power plants instead of natural gas. Now, we've known for a while that solar is replacing coal plants, but the utilities are now saying, you know, instead of putting in one of these natural gas peaker plants, it's cheaper to put in solar coupled with battery storage. Okay, now, as far as the president, he brags about the U.S. once again being the world's largest producer of oil. Now, you know, actually, from an economic, overall economic standpoint, not a terrible short-term thing because we're still ramping up our, our production of renewable solar and wind. And it's certainly better for us to be getting oil out of the ground in the U.S., then sending billions of our dollars to hostile Middle Eastern countries. But you know, regardless, whether it's natural gas out of the ground, coal out of the ground, or oil out of the ground, it's still making the environment worse. Now, you know, as far as the, the president's futilely trying to resuscitate America's coal industry. Coal's the most expensive fuel, except for maybe nuclear. Now, it's relatively cheap to burn coal and produce electricity, but because of the regulations about the pollution, it's very, very expensive. Now, it's just a reminder, I say this again and again, there's no such thing as clean cheap coal. We can get electricity from coal that's clean, but it's very expensive because we need scrubbers to pull out all the pollutants there. Utilities stopped building coal plants in the U.S. because of the cost, because natural gas was cheaper, and then now because of solar and storage is cheaper. And now they're slowing down the natural gas plants. Now, coal mining, unfortunately, it's a dead industry. We're much better off retraining coal miners for the renewable energy industry, whether they're putting up windmills or solar panels or, you know, building 
energy efficient homes. You know, kind of continuing along what's going on in our president's cabinet, we're pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord. This is a worldwide treaty that's going to cut back greenhouse gases in the world. Now, quoting the president again, basically he thinks global warming is a hoax promoted by China. Now, I know that, you know, he might have said some of these things 10 years ago and five years ago, but they're still being repeated. It's really not helping anybody other than perhaps some hardcore coal miners. I don't really know where he's going with this. Because America right now is isolated on the world stage when it comes to global warming, pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords, saying all these things that global warming's a farce. No other country in the world, no other leaders in the world are taking that approach. Even Syria signed the Paris Climate Accords in November 2017. So the U.S. is the only country in the whole world. All right. So here's the reality with President Trump. And this is the reality over the next two years and over the next six years if he gets reelected. We're actively rolling back our environmental regulations, left, right, and center. Corporate average fuel economy. There's regulations that we're going to improve it. We're capping those. The EPA, I don't know. I don't know what those three letters stand for environmental something agency, but we're certainly not doing that much to protect the environment. Actively suppressing the growth of renewals. There's solar tariffs. There's penalties on on equipment that is being used. It's terrible. Supporting the coal and fossil fuel industry. I understand supporting unemployed people that are in industries of the past, but not supporting solar and continuing to artificially prop up coal and fossil fuel generation. It's just not economically sane. So basically what's happening is the U.S. is increasing global emissions, increasing our emissions, not acting to reduce them. We're isolated on the world stage. It's a, we have a loss of respect. The country has a loss of respect. We have such a short-term focused president that you know, it's just not a way to lead the world. Global warming is a really severe, critical, long-term crisis. And, you know, unfortunately, our president is very transactional. He's only looking two years ahead or six years ahead. All right. Now, let's talk about some of the other candidates. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about this thing called the Green New Deal. Now, I did a whole energy show about the Green New Deal a few months ago. Now, I'm all for some of it and not so enthusiastic about the other parts. I went through the whole 14 pages of House Resolution 109. That was how the Green Deal was introduced. It's basically a set of proposed economic stimulus programs in the United States. Now, the goal is twofold. The Green Part is to address climate change and restore our leadership there and improve the climate over the long term. And the New Deal part is really to address economic inequality. Now, talking about the Green Part, specifically, there's proposals to reduce the impacts of climate change, mostly to do with renewable energy and energy efficiency. Now, I'm biased, obviously. I've been working in the solar and energy efficiency industry since 1977. So the Green New Deal is calling for a 10-year national mobilization to increase building resiliency against climate change-related disasters, to repair and upgrade our country's infrastructure, to make an attempt to meet 100% of the power demand in the United States through clean, renewable, and zero-emission energy sources. Now, people say, oh, it's important. It's impossible to go to 100%. We're getting there. It's impossible if we don't try, and it is possible if we make the changes, and we'll talk about what some of those changes have to be. But you know, we can get to 100% renewable energy. I mean, heck, there's people that are building buildings and vehicles and cars, and whole cities are focusing on being 100% renewable. California is certainly a leader there. Upgrading all the existing buildings in the United States 
spurring massive growth in clean manufacturing. Clean manufacturing. We're not talking about making things that that aren't dusty. We're talking about making wind turbines and solar panels and and whatever future technology is going to be, manufacturing is going to help us with our economy. It includes it. I mean, even including electric vehicles. We want to encourage that. Working collaboratively with farmers and ranchers to remove pollution and greenhouse gas emissions from the agricultural sector overhauling our transportation systems. I mean, obviously, things things like electric vehicles, electric buses, more train transport, maybe coming up with a way to fuel jets with renewable fuels. It can be done. And then finally, removing greenhouse gases from the atmosphere and reducing pollution. So we're talking about actually pulling carbon dioxide and pollutants out of the atmosphere. It can be done. It's still really, really expensive now, but it may, you know, it's something that could feasibly be done. Now, that's the green part. I'm all for that. The New Deal part refers to a set of social and economic reforms and public works projects that were undertaken by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in response to the Great Depression. This was stuff that happened in the the, the late 30s and early 40s. We were trying to get out of the Depression. And so they had the New Deal. Basically things like the Civilian Conservation Corps, the Civil Works Administration, and the Social Security Administration. So these are the New Deal things that that want to be included in the, the Green New Deal. Now, specifically, the Green New Deal, the New Deal part, intends to provide all people in the United States with high-quality health care, affordable, safe, and adequate housing, economic security, clean water, clean air, healthy and affordable food, and access to nature. And, you know, these are all really great aspirational things, but trying to kind of lump these in with the green part, it's going to make it really hard to get through Congress. I obviously like the green part, and I'm not, and I like the New Deal parts, but they're going to have to be done differently, not lumped together with this green, clean uh, transition in our economy. That's going to pull a lot of people into higher income jobs, better housing, et cetera, et cetera. But attacking the specific funding mechanisms and details for the New Deal part onto the Green part is going to be really hard. We're conflating these two issues, and that's going to, you know, in Congress, going to make it impossible. Okay, next up is Jay Inslee's climate plan. It's called An Evergreen Economy for America, subtitled Investing in Good Jobs, clean energy, and modern infrastructure. Now, Jay Inslee's plan is focused on investment, roughly $300 billion in public investment per year, leveraging an additional $600 billion in private investment. Kind of do the math, you know, not a dummy. That's $900 billion a year. Over 10 years, that's $9 trillion. Not surprisingly, by design, that that's the exact same $900 billion per year that the U.S. National Climate Assessment Report that was done last year indicated. So it's going to cost $900 billion a year. It's kind of everybody agrees on this number to really turn the U.S. around and focus on these issues. And that's not including what the rest of the world has to do. But in order for us to meet our obligations, which is a leading economy in the world, this is what we need to do. Probably not going to start spending that money for another three years at best, but that's what it's going to take. Now, here are the components of Jay Inslee's plan. Number one, upgrade millions of buildings, create a green bank, 
create a rural electrification initiative. So upgrading millions of buildings, heck, you know, you know that I'm in the middle of upgrading my small house and it's really not too difficult to electrify a building, to insulate a building so that it's incredibly more energy efficient. It's not hard. There's plenty of contractors can do it, whether it's commercial or residential. It just takes some focus and time and planning. Green Bank is a great way to go because that's going to provide the money that it's going to take to do this. Rural electrification initiative, that's... Candidly, I'm not exactly sure what he means by that because most of the rural areas are already electrified, but finding a way to get renewable power out there. Okay, number two, sustainable and climate smart infrastructure. I kind of like that term, climate smart. That means basically it's it's infrastructure like transportation and water and things like that that are going to be basically sensitive to the climate. So we're not talking about putting in new diesel locomotives. We're talking about mostly electrifying transportation, sustainable transportation, electric vehicles, electric buses, electric trains, and making sure that the power for that transportation is coming from renewable sources, solar and wind mostly. I mean, some people sneak nuclear into that. Not, not that I have anything wrong with that, but it's just expensive. All right. Also, making sure that housing's affordable, creating sustainable communities, and a smart grid system. Great. All these things are great ideas. There's a lot of details involved, but that's kind of high level. Makes sense. Okay. Number three in his plan, lead the world in clean manufacturing. Now, we can be a leader in clean manufacturing, but it's really going to be tricky because a lot of manufacturing is still, it's labor intensive. And we have high labor costs here. There's lots of places around the world that have much, much lower labor costs. So if you're talking about making sneakers or t-shirts or even certain electronics things, if there's labor that goes into it, it's going to be more expensive to to do it in the U.S. Now, it's not to say we shouldn't be doing it in the U.S. And there may be ways to do it here that are going to be a little bit, that are going to be a little bit better, but it's expensive. So... It's just tough for the U.S. to be competitive on the world stage for commodity things like solar panels that take a lot of manual labor. Now, we could automate a lot of this, put in machines to do it, put in robots to build these things, but then you're not really solving the the labor problem because you have fewer people, so you're going to need to pay less. And you you think about the coal industry, what's happened in the coal industry. It's kind of exactly this. We've automated coal mining to such a degree that we can have machines do the mining, and it takes one-tenth of the, the, the labor, the personnel, than it did when we were you know, underground with picks and shovels and wheelbarrows. So um, automation, increasing productivity is good, but it means that there's fewer of these manual labor jobs. All right, next item. Increase U.S. clean energy and climate solutions R&D to $35 billion a year. That makes a lot of sense. That's five times the current funding. So investing in clean energy R&D. It's great. There's so much criticism about the DOE loan program, things like this. We should be spending more money at the Department of Energy on doing clean energy research, more money, ARPA-E, Advanced Research Project Administration, focusing on energy. That's where the breakthroughs come from. All right. Next, ensuring good jobs with family-supporting wages and benefits. High-paying, high-skilled jobs reunionize and empower workers in every industry with new tools to collectively bargain, challenge racial and gender inequality, and close the gap in wealth and prosperity. These are some of the New Deal parts of the Green New Deal. Once again, I think these are great aspirational things to do, but kind of you know tying that to $35 billion in, in R&D investment or $900 billion in clean energy investment and deployment, it's going to be challenging. But you know what's great? Inslee's been a climate leader 
leader. He's been at the forefront of this, and he's succeeded with some of these efforts as the governor of Washington State. In my view, he has the best and most practical plan out there so far. Okay, the next one that I think is really worth talking about is Joe Biden's plan for a clean energy revolution and environmental justice. So, once again, we're kind of talking about clean energy and you know social justice here. Joe Biden's plan is important because he's currently leading in the polls, and he wants to ensure that the U.S. achieves a 100% clean energy economy and reaches net zero emissions no later than 2050. I mean, heck, the city of San Jose is focusing on zero net energy buildings. Um, And the city of San Jose and California as a whole has has focused on a 100% clean energy economy. So we're not increasing greenhouse gas emissions. It can be done. There's lots of people saying, no, you can't do it. But the reality is, if you focus on it, it can be done. People said we couldn't go to the moon. We went. Although there's still some people that say it was all faked. All right. So it's part of this 100% clean energy economy. He wants an enforcement mechanism that includes targets no later than the end of his first term in 2025 if he gets elected. He wants historic investments in clean energy and climate research and innovation. Once again, similar to what Inslee wants. He wants to incentivize the rapid deployment of clean energy innovations across the economy, especially in communities most impacted by climate change. So this is a really interesting one. It's kind of subtle. We're not talking about R&D. We're talking about deployment. You know what really drove the growth of the solar industry? It was really, really, really rapid deployment of solar panels back in the last decade from 2000 to 2010. Tax incentives, feed-in tariffs in Europe, that really created the demand that allowed us to dramatically reduce the cost of solar panels from $1,000 each down to less than $200. So deployment's really key, and deploying in communities that are most impacted by climate change. I mean, heck, you look at what Los Angeles is doing, one of the most polluted cities in the country. They're completely cleaning up their city. I mean, the emissions are way down. They're focusing on electric vehicles, and they've got some aggressive solar plants. All right. Next, build a stronger, more resilient nation. So this is focusing on, you know, not making America great again, but just making sure that we continue to be strong and resilient. That requires smart infrastructure investments to ensure that our buildings our water, our transportation, and our energy infrastructure can withstand the impacts of climate change. Yeah, got to make sure that the cities that are built on the coast, like almost every city that are next to water, the water's coming up. So you've got to find a way to put walls around and move those cities inland or do whatever it takes. I keep moving a city inland, boy, that's kind of tough. But um, do whatever it takes because the water's rising in the ocean and it's not, not going to turn around anytime soon. Okay, what Joe Biden wants to do is rally the rest of the world to meet the threat of climate climate change. This is kind of ironic. I think the rest of the world is rallied, except we have one like cheerleader that's rallying for the opposing team. It's President Trump. So Biden recognizes that climate change is a global challenge that requires decisive action from every country around the world. He wants to cooperate with our allies and stand up to our adversaries. And he wants to recommit the United States, obviously, super simple, to the Paris Agreement on Climate Change and go much further than that. Because if you look at the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, we have to do more faster than that. So Biden expects to leave an effort, lead an effort to get every country in the world to ramp up their domestic climate targets. 
All right, now we're talking about some other political things. Stand up to the abuse of power by polluters who disproportionately harm communities of color and low-income communities. I mean, there's more pollution there, more asthma, you know, more lead in the the water, etc. Fulfill obligations to workers and communities who powered our industrial revolution and subsequent decades of economic growth. So, you know, I'm thinking about making sure that we're taking care of the coal miners. Um, There's there's no reason why we we should be taking care of of everyone. And if we're able to build a profitable, growing, cost-effective economy, we can do that. He's not going to accept contributions from oil, gas, and coal corporations or executives. That's an interesting one. I'm going to watch that and see what happens when ExxonMobil kind of waves a big check under his nose. Or the Koch brothers. Now, the Koch brothers are pretty much in Donald Trump's pocket or, or vice versa. And he's going to focus on federal investment of $1.7 trillion over the next 10 years, leveraging additional private sector and state and local investments to total more than $5 trillion. $5 trillion. We need 9 or $10 trillion. So that's not enough. That's that's not going to do it. So, Joe, we got to do a little bit more. And he's going to pay for all this by reversing the excesses of the Trump tax cuts for corporations and making sure that we're closing tax loopholes. So, interesting. Oh, now, now I'm going to take a step back and see my view of what's really, really going to happen. As far as Trump, he has no plan. We're really talking about going back to the past. It's been a disaster for the environment, and the environment's getting worse, and we're really not doing anything. What we're really doing is just helping the fossil fuel companies in the short term. Long term, I don't know what the fossil fuel companies are going to do, but short term, we shouldn't be supporting them. The Green Deal is clearly the most aspirational plan, but the New Deal part is going to be almost impossible to get through Congress. Inslee's plan, in my view, is most comprehensive, most specific and practical. I like it the most. Biden's plan, as we just mentioned, it's good, but there's not enough money in it. And I would say, you know, Biden's plan is kind of like the anti-Trump plan. And that's understandable because of his campaign efforts. He's just focusing on the election. Hopefully he becomes the nominee. I'm not saying hopefully. I think he will be. And he has the best chance of beating Trump. Other candidates besides Inslee and Biden haven't made as much noise. Kind of interesting. The Democratic National Committee doesn't even want to debate on climate change. I'm not exactly sure why they say that they don't have single topic debates, but it's so important. It's something worth considering. Okay. So after the results of the 2020 election, we'll see what we get. If Trump wins, the most I can say is great for fossil fuel companies and start building seawalls, not a wall between us and Mexico. You're going to have to build seawalls around every city that's on the ocean. And if a Democrat wins, Executive orders are going to have some immediate positive impact, and it's going to take about two years to get solid legislation through that's really going to make a difference. Okay, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts.